If you have small children or you remember when you were a small child, Christmas Day was an exciting day, yes? Or, you know, when you've got small children, seeing their excitement can bring you excitement. Uh, the ripping open of presents, etc. In saying that, as a parent of small children, it's hard sometimes not to get disappointed when you see uh, your children open presents and then seem to have more joy in playing with the wrapping paper rather than the present that was given. Yes, people understand that? Um, part of me feels like, look, I should have just wrapped up an empty cardboard box and then I would have won both ways uh, and not have to have gone to the shops. It's hard not to look at that situation and be disappointed that your kids seem to have the wrong focus. Yes? Um, and obviously, Christmas time is not the only time where we can see this take place. Uh, a number of years ago, and we've now sort of turned it into a tradition where every September holidays, uh, we all jump in the car and drive up the coast and go to the Colin Buchanan concert that happens every year uh, at Sunshine Coast. And the first year that we went, oh, Esther must have been about three or four or something like that. And um, she enjoyed listening to Colin in a car, we had a couple of DVDs, DVDs that she would watch, and so we thought that she would enjoy going to see Colin in real life. Uh, we didn't tell her what we were doing, we jumped in the car, we happened to listen to Colin on the way up. When we got to the church at Marichidor there, we said that we were going to, you know, the guy we were listening to on the radio in the car, we get to watch him live and tried to pump it up. Went in, found our seats, concert started, looking at Esther, Two songs in, no movement, no actions, nothing, just blank stares. Asked when she was going to have some food, got some food. Asked then when the concert was going to finish so she could get more food. That was it. It was like, what? We, when, if we knew that was going to happen, we should have just put a DVD on here and come and had food in the church. Like, you know, all this trouble to go up the coast. It was hard not to be a bit disappointed that it seemed like, you know, she had the wrong focus. If we're honest with ourselves, I mean, you know, there's times when we probably in life have the wrong focus on things. Uh, sometimes it's not too bad, but other times, particularly when it comes to our relationship with God, uh, you know, when we can have a wrong focus, we can get ourselves in a lot of trouble. Uh, we can, it can also affect then our relationships with other people. I'm sure we've all been in situations where we've got our focus wrong, uh, where we've maybe focused on doing the work of God rather than spending time actually worshipping God. Uh, where we've got our focus wrong, where we've been more worried about what other people are doing and sort of judging them based on things that they we think they shouldn't be doing uh, when we might be doing the same things. Uh, it's easy to get our focus wrong. Jesus talks about this. Uh, and in tonight's passage, we're going to have a look at how uh, there was a group of people who had their focus wrong and Jesus was bringing them back and refocusing them on what it is they should be looking at. So please keep your Bibles open to Mark chapter 7. Before we dive into this specific passage, just to throw it into some context, there's a bit of a refresher from last week, uh, the message that Peter preached. In Mark, a whole pile of Pharisees had travelled to a place where Jesus was and were having a go at him and his disciples for not doing certain things that the Pharisees thought that they should be doing. Uh, Jesus then responds and has a go back at them and says, you guys have got it all wrong. Here you are holding all of these human traditions that you've put in place. You've held them above what the word of God says. Uh, and then Jesus goes on then in this passage to say, you're concerned about all of the contamination that you're thinking is coming from the world, particularly like with the hand-washing stuff. 
what you should be more worried about is the contamination pretty much of going what's inside of you starting at verse 16 it says and he called the crowd to him again and said to them hear me all of you and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him but the things that come out of a person are what defile him so the whole time for a long time the pharisees had been concerned about being defiled by the world they had withdrawn themselves as much as they could were doing all these things to protect their own holiness and jesus comes out and says no 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 no. you should be more worried about what's going on inside because that's what defiles you now if we read through the gospels it's easy to see that the pharisees often cop a pretty good spray from jesus can I, and dare I say it, actually jump in and slightly defend the Pharisees at this point in time? From the point of view that initially what they were doing came with the right motives. It got all pear-shaped in the end, which I'll get to in a second. But at the start, what they were doing was actually with noble intentions. We rewind back to the Old Testament. We read that uh, God had set up his covenant with his people the israelites and pretty much said hey if you worship me and follow me it'll go really good if you don't then you're going to get yourselves into trouble and the israelites didn't and they got themselves into trouble we hear numerous times of where the israelite people were um, invaded by armies and then taken off into exile and while they're in exile they sort of reflected upon what was going on and could see that obviously they weren't worshiping god and their relationship with god was messed up And so they set about trying to set up ways to help them in their worship of God. Right motives. Over time, these things turned into traditions that they did to help them worship God. Traditions are a good thing. I like traditions. In case you don't know, my middle name is Charles. What? What's so funny about Charles? I'm sharing intimate things here, Mandy. (laughs) My middle name is Charles. My father's middle name is Charles. My grandfather's name was Charles. So this name has been passed down through my family. Uh, My mum's dad's middle name is Charles. Rachel's dad's middle name is Charles. As a result of that, we've then named Asher's middle name as Charles to continue that tradition going. I like traditions. In our family, we have attempting to set up a number of traditions if it's your birthday in our family then there's a guarantee that you are going to get pancakes for breakfast that's the tradition that we've set up Um, there are traditions that i'm sure that you guys do in your family there's other things we do around christmas and around easter traditions are a good thing there's traditions here that we celebrate at church Uh, at the start of every year over the last couple of years we've celebrated milestones as kids have grown up and begun school either in prep or grade seven and we've celebrated that as a church Uh, traditions are a good thing the problem however is when traditions change from being traditions to traditionalism and what happens with that is is that when things change from tradition to traditionalism the focus changes the focus changes from the why you're doing it to the actual thing itself Now, let me give you an example. Coming to church. The tradition of coming to church is a good thing. We come to church to worship God. Uh, It says in Hebrews, don't neglect meeting together. So coming to church is a good thing. The problem is when we change that into traditionalism, uh, because two things happen. 
Firstly, when we change into traditionalism about attending church, we focus more on the thing itself, and we then become legalistic, whereby, by me coming to church, I can go, oh, I've come to church twice today, I am totally awesome, but that person over there, I haven't seen them for two weeks, so I am a heaps better Christian than they are. Understand? So the idea that it changes into being a legalistic thing, whereby we can actually judge other people based on our perceived holiness. In addition to that, traditionalism then can also turn into hypocrisy, whereby the focus is on attending, and when you come, you're actually not engaged in what goes on here. There's no engagement with worshipping God. It's more about you ticking the box of, I've done the right Christian thing by coming to church. Make sense so far? This is what the Pharisees did over time, where they changed all of these things that they started out with the right motives, And these things that they set up to try and help them worship God over time changed into traditionalism things whereby the focus was on the things themselves. The Pharisees set up this whole system whereby they could do these external things and tick all of these boxes to say, I've done all these things so I am holy, you haven't so therefore you aren't. Jesus sets about refocusing this because it was all throughout culture refocusing this to say you've got it wrong you're focused on these outside things you need to focus more on what's inside because that's the problem now the disciples were obviously confused because this is a teaching that was different to what they'd heard elsewhere and jesus responds to them in, from verse 18 and 19 and says he said to them then are you also without understanding do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. So Jesus initially responds by using food as an example, pretty much saying what goes in has to come out. The word expelled literally means to go into the latrine. I'm sure that we don't need to go any further into that, correct? Good. So what Jesus was saying is is that food goes in, comes out. You don't need to worry about being defiled by what you eat. Slight sidetrack. This was a radical teaching. And if you've read the Old Testament, particularly Leviticus chapter 11, it seems like Jesus is contradicting what God set up with his Israelite people. All the way throughout Leviticus 11, the whole chapter is on foods that are considered clean and unclean. The most famous obviously being that The Jewish people were not meant to eat any type of pork products. Poor people. Um, It appears at this point in time that Jesus is actually contradicting what God had set up in the Old Testament. Closer inspection, that is not the case. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 5 that he did not come to abolish the law, he came to fulfill it. So what Jesus was saying is that post-cross, after I've died and been raised back to life, after I've fulfilled all of the requirements of the Old Testament law, in my new kingdom that I'm instituting, all foods are considered clean. Paul takes this up in 1 Timothy chapter 4 with his chapter in there and also explains how, through Jesus instituting this new kingdom, all foods are now considered clean. We see that also in the fact that Marx included this little bracketed section, thus he declared all food clean, for people like us after the cross Gentiles, people who can see that he has instituted all things are now clean as a result of what Jesus has done on the cross. Make sense? So there's, there's no contradiction there. Instead, Jesus then continues to go on 
from verse 20. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come, come from within and they defile a person. The Pharisees had set about trying to avoid being defiled by the outside world, by setting up all of these things to prove that they were holy. And Jesus was coming out and saying, you've got it completely wrong. You shouldn't be worried about what's happening out there. You should be worrying about what's happening inside your own heart, inside your own character. That's where the defilement comes from. Don't be fooled by your traditionalism that you've set up to prove your holiness because you've missed it. Does that not sound like us, though? Does that not sound like us, whereby we, as people trying to follow God, set up our own little systems uh, and through these systems you know, judge other people? Uh, maybe it's on how many times people come to church, uh, how, you know, what people spend their money on, what people wear, what people do with their spare time. Is that on us, where we've set up these systems and think, oh, if I do all these things, I'm going good with God. But that other person, oh, yeah, they're not doing these things that I'm doing. Oh, that's a bit, bit unfortunate for them. While at the same time inside harboring judgmentalism, being proud, being envious, being covetous. Habits that you individually set up to help you in worship God are not a bad thing. The problem is when we use those to either think that we can get in favour with God or that we use these things to judge other people. Paul speaks about this in Romans chapter 14 that will come up on the screen. From verse 1 he says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let the one who eats let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honour of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honour of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honour of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whatever we live, whether we die, we are the Lord's. And then in verse 12 it says, So then... Each of us will give an account of himself to God. We are each individually accountable to God for our actions, not to anyone else. As a result of that, our focus then needs to also be on God and not looking at what other people are doing. In saying that, 
if we're honest, we've all messed up at some stage. Maybe tonight God sort of, through his Holy Spirit, just sort of pinpointing some areas in your life whereby you know that you've messed up in the past. Take the time to bring them before God, to confess the times when you have set up these systems and have judged other people. We're actually going to be coming to a time of communion in a second, uh, which is a great way for us to remember the fact that we have a forgiving God. And despite the times that we mess up, God promises that when we come to him and confess, he promises that he will forgive us. It says in Titus chapter 3, starting at verse 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We don't deserve to be forgiven. Our actions are never going to stack up to God's standard. But despite that, we have a forgiving God who sent his son so that through his death and resurrection, we can be forgiven. Despite the things that we do, we can come and confess them to God and he promises that he will forgive us. So I encourage you now to take the time to spend with God, to bring those things to him that you know are the defilements that's inside each of us. Take the time to confess them to God, but also take time to thank God for the fact that he sent his son and that through his sacrifice, through his death and resurrection, our sins can be forgiven and our relationship with God can be restored. Take the time now and when you're ready, I invite you to come up the front and the communion people will be standing at the front uh, for you to then partake in communion. Please eat the bread but hold on to the cup and we'll drink that together.